I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. Maybe someone has said it to you. And what about the politicians, the leaders who respond to great tragedies, promising the thoughts and prayers of the nation, or at least to fellow politicians? What do you hear? If you say that to someone, someone who's having surgery tomorrow or has just told you someone they love has died, thoughts and prayers, what do you mean? Especially after the mass shootings in the United States and after natural or man-made disasters in Canada, like the wildfires out west, prominent people have offered thoughts and prayers to suffering, grieving people. And a lot of people are quick to point out, when people are in need, promising thoughts and prayers is no help, worth less than the breath it takes to say thoughts and prayers. A lot of the time, though, we promise thoughts and prayers because we don't know what to say. Thoughts and prayers are not trinkets to be tossed to the needy, and we should be offended when people, especially powerful people, throw them at suffering people as if the words themselves are enough. For people who believe in prayer, for people who pray, for people who follow Jesus and want to figure out the best way a disciple of Jesus can help, thoughts and prayers are powerful gifts that lead to action. Reverend Dr. Margaret Mullen is the leader of Winnipeg Intercity Mission. And she's also pastor of one of our newest congregations, Place of Hope Presbyterian Church. Margaret lives in two worlds. In one, she is a white Canadian of Scottish descent, ordained in the Presbyterian Church in Canada. And in the other world, she is Thundering Eagle Woman, an Ojibwe woman, finding strength in her indigenous spiritual practices. And her two worlds come together in her work. 98% of her congregation is indigenous or Métis, and 98% of that congregation are among the poorest of the poor in Winnipeg. Her lecture at Knox College last week was called Reconciliation is Negotiating the Rapids Together. And one sentence in her lecture, burned its way into my mind, probably because I was reading the prophet Amos to prepare today's sermon. She said, what disturbs the heart of God should disturb our hearts too. Disturb our hearts. Make us think and pray and pray and think and act. And that's the gist of the prophet Amos's message. What disturbs the heart of God should disturb our hearts too. God calls Amos from his farm in the southern kingdom to go up north and preach, and no one in the northern kingdom knows who he is. They hear his accent and know he's an outsider. They see the way he's dressed, and they know he's not a priest or a scholar. And anyone who listens... Anyone who hears words that come from an aching heart. In our reading today, 
Amos says the people don't think much at all, actually. They don't remember who they are, who their God is. They only think of themselves. And they let others who don't speak for God lead them. Their prayers are perfect to the letter. Their worship is prayer book proper. Their worship doesn't appeal to God's heart. Why? Because God sees beyond their thoughts and prayers to people, people whose needs disturb God's heart. Between the opening words of the book of Amos and chapter 5, there are lists and lists of the sins of the kingdom. And some of those sins are described as sins against God, and most of them are sins against people. People who are poor, enslaved by debt, exploited in every way, used by the wealthy and powerful, the so-called righteous. And this is what God rages against, like a roaring lion. And what does God want? What does God want? It's clear. In some of the most beautiful words in the Bible, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, maybe you thought Martin Luther King Jr. wrote those words, and he quoted Amos in his best-known speech, I Have a Dream. But in Amos' day, people dream of rolling waters. They rarely see flowing streams, even when the rain rolls down, the parched earth soaks it up. Those who know the Jordan River know it as a trickle or a flood. And God casts a vision through Amos of people bathing in justice and drinking righteousness until there's no more thirst. But they've been taught that righteousness is for those people who have time to study the law, people who can afford to make the right offerings and worship, and God is supposed to honor their thoughts and hear their prayers. People know justice as a precious commodity, common among said righteous and scarce for most people. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Righteousness. Now that's a big Old Testament word. And it's often defined as moral purity that is attained by obeying the commandments. And not just ten, all 643 of them. Justice is another big biblical word. It's actually a synonym for righteousness but usually thought to be about punishment for crime and restitution to the offended. Both, according to the prophets and Jesus, both are really about relationship, right relationship with God and among people. And neither, according to the prophets and Jesus, neither of them is, in, is intended to deny or destroy relationship with God and among people. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Last week, Margaret Mullen told of the way indigenous peoples responded to the first treaties with the crown. Chiefs honored the events by creating double-beaded wampum belts, ceremonial symbols, 
depicting two strong streams flowing together in parallel in the same direction. Two nations with one goal. Two nations. Not conquerors and the conquered, not the victor and the vanquished. Treaties are signed by nations, each signing in its own right. But it seems the agents of the crown and successive Canadian governments and Canadian churches didn't see it that way and didn't want to paddle together and certainly not navigate any rapids. In his last speech, Martin Luther King Jr. said, all we are saying to the government is be true to what you said on paper. And many indigenous and Métis people are, have been waiting 250 years. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. But here's good news. Here's hope. Because our governments and the churches, including our Presbyterian church, are back in the water with indigenous and Métis people trying to find a just, a right way forward together. And I live and paddle in hope. I believe we're in that ever-flowing stream of righteousness. And yes, there are rapids ahead. If we only watch the news we're used to watching, we'll believe what we're told and what so many white Canadians believe, that indigenous and mixed-race Canadians are helpless and hopeless and a drain on the economy. Do we hear about the great strides young first Canadians are making in education, in business, in professions? Do we realize that Canadians who identify as indigenous are the fastest growing demographic in our population? Not new immigrants, but people whose roots in Canada go back tens of thousands of years. They are also the youngest population group. We know Canada's future depends in large part on immigration, on people like most of us here today, embracing new neighbors and unfamiliar cultures. But have we forgotten the people who are already here and were here when our ancestors arrived? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. As Margaret said, reconciliation is navigating the rapids together. I wonder how many Canadians, including Presbyterians, first heard of the Indian residential schools when the tragically hips Gord Downey spoke, wrote, and sang about Cheney Wenjack, a boy who died trying to go home from a school neither he nor his parents chose. Just about 51 years ago, October 1966, it was a Presbyterian school. And in 1994, the Presbyterian Church in Canada gathered in assembly with representatives of First Nations at the Forks of the Credit in Winnipeg and confessed and apologized for our actions in the past and especially the residential schools. We got back into the stream, and we've already navigated some big rapids, but we have a long, long way to go. It's ironic, you know. At the same time our church was cooperating with the government 
enacting a policy best described in John A. Macdonald's words, to take the Indian out of the Indian in residential schools, we were sending missionaries to India and Taiwan to work with tribal First Nations people there, to teach them and affirm their worth and dignity within oppressive cultures. And just this fall, the Presbyterian Church in Canada celebrated the latest achievement of an old friend of mine, Paul McLean. He's still working in Taiwan to help tribal people develop their written languages and translate the Bible for themselves. And the recent work has served a people unknown outside of Taiwan and of little influence within Taiwan. It's a remarkable feat, and praise God for it. Now the Gudra Drakai people of Taiwan can hear and read these words in their own language. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We've got a lot to learn right here at home. And we'll get there. What disturbs the heart of God should disturb our hearts too. Disturbed hearts think and pray a lot. It starts by taking time to listen and learn so we have the right stuff to think on and we know what to pray about. As some young indigenous Canadians have been saying a lot to governments and others, nothing about us without us. The history of settlement, of conquest and occupation is dark, but within that darkness is the truth that many of us here today know well. Few of those who first settled from Europe came by choice, and many were planted here by the conquerors to drive indigenous people and often other Europeans off the land. My German ancestors were among them. And the folklore of the first generation of white settlers reveals how they and their indigenous neighbors lived together. I've read how the Mi'kmaq people helped my Scottish ancestors survive their first winter and their first years in Canada. And how many of us here today can look back through our family histories and see our ancestors running from war, escaping injustice, finding ways out of enforced hardship, religious oppression, rebuilding lives after natural disasters, seeking freedom for their children, some of them forced to move because of relationships they had chosen, choices made in a freedom others would deny them. Shouldn't it disturb our hearts to see anyone on this land we share suffer just because they are who they are. Let righteousness roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amen. Glory to God.